we're rushing into Christmas, and there's no two ways about it. I don't know about you. I guess as I get older, everything just speeds up, you know. I mean, goodness, it's already the 9th. Tomorrow's the 10th of December. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. And so what we're going to do is uh, we're not going to vary from what we do here, but we're just going to try to to build things around this time of the year musically. But when it comes to the Word, we will stay faithful to what the Lord has asked us to do. Um, we have a Christmas Eve service uh, that maybe some of you will bring that particular day, friends, neighbor, loved ones, maybe some people that don't normally come to church might come to church. And that service will not be out of the book of Acts unless we are in that place right where Acts is talking about the, the birth of Christ. What I will do on that service is uh, build a message around those that come to church not very often but need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And I will preach that, that particular message that particular day. We'll probably, knowing our Lord and the way He does things for us, we'll probably be right in the perfect place come Christmas Day anyways, or Christmas uh, Sunday. We'll probably be in Saturday night. We'll be in the very place that we ought to be. Would you now please turn with me to the book of Acts? Would you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 9? We're going to take a look. The focus, the focus tonight moves back on the, on the sturdy, sturdy, wonderful back of Peter. Paul is away. He has escaped because they had threatened his life. And so he has gone back to his home city of Tarsus. And now, reappearing from this chapter to chapter 10, 11, and 12 will be Peter. Then starting in chapter 13, Paul will come back on the scene and he will dominate the book of Acts from chapter 13 on. Paul, as you well know, has been converted to Jesus Christ. He now is boldly proclaiming his newfound faith. As we saw last week, he so irritated those quote-unquote Jewish religious leaders that they became aggravated with his preaching and his claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And so his old religious friends now sought to kill him, as we saw last week. And so the new Christian, the new friends that he now has, the, the believers in Jesus Christ, helped him escape. And as I say to you, he is either in Arabia being taught exclusively by our Lord, or he is in his home city of Tarsus at this time. But nonetheless, upon the scene comes Peter. And through Peter, in this place in Scripture, we're going to find out so much about us, the, the family of God. Peter is going to be convinced he is going to be moved to where he sees that nothing on this earth is unholy. God has made everything holy. God will show Peter that everything, everything and everyone can come to the Lord. I want you to see this. We'll, think, we'll, we'll look at it next week. But look at the 10th chapter just for a moment. Peter was called to Caesarea by a guy named Cornelius. He was staying uh, with, well, we're going to find out tonight, with a certain tanner named Simon, 
Verse 43 of chapter 9 says so much. It leads us into chapter 10. So, Peter, being called by Cornelius to his home, while he, before this happened, it says in verse 10, he was hungry, desiring to eat. They were making preparations, and Peter fell into a trance. And behold, the sky opened up, and objects like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. Peter observed in verse 12, there were all kinds of animals, four-footed animals, crawling creatures, birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter and said, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means. I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. And again, in verse 15, the voice came to Peter a second time saying, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. The Bible says this happens three times to Peter. When Peter finally went to Cornelius and those Gentile people, he proclaimed to them in verses 34 and 35, Peter said, verse 34, this is all in chapter 10, this is all next week, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation... A person who fears God and does what is right is welcome to God. Now this is all, I mention this to you because all of this is set up by what is going to happen as we look at at Acts chapter 9. Peter is going to be confronted with two different people. He's going to be confronted by a certain man who was paralyzed lame. He's going to heal him. While he is there in that city where he is healing that man, he gets a call from a a nearby city only 10 miles away. And a wonderful woman by the name of Tabitha, also translates out to call Dorcas, which is not so pretty, which meant gazelle. She died. And what we're going to see tonight is Peter cures both of them. One of paral- is being paralyzed, the other one of death. But what takes place here sets the scene for what happens in the life of Peter from this moment on. It's really interesting for all of us to understand. Read with me, please, in Acts chapter 9. Start with verse 32, and we'll read to the end of this chapter. It says, It came about that as Peter was traveling through all those parts, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years. He was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, Make your bed. And immediately, the Bible says, he arose. Verse 35 tells us that all who live in Lydda and Sharon saw him. In other words, this man who was paralyzed. And they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. It came about at that time that she fell sick and died. 
And when they had washed her body and laid it in an upper room, since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, Do not delay to come to us. Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out. He knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand, he raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came about that Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a certain tanner named Simon. Let me give you a clue. At the end of this message, I'm going to present to you why this was an amazing thing. Why Peter stayed with Simon, it doesn't mention. I can say this to you, which will lead into chapter 10. Simon, being a tanner, was considered unclean by the Jewish people because he had to handle dead animals to prepare the, the, the leather work that he did. In handling these dead animals, he was no longer considered a part. He was unclean. For whatever reason, Peter stayed with him, perhaps to give him credibility. We don't know. What we do know, though, is God is going to minister to the life of Peter amazingly. But what he's going to do is he's going to set the tone for us as believers, seeing that nothing is unholy. It all depends upon how we act and react to certain things and certain people. What God wants Peter to know, and he's going to wrestle a little bit with this with Paul later on, is that Gentiles, just as Samaritans, just as Jews, were all welcomed into the kingdom of God. That's a major step in the life of the church. And Peter's going to learn a great lesson, as we're going to see tonight and next week. Let's pray right now. Dear, dear, dear Father, we, um, we have the privilege of worshiping you tonight. We have the privilege of being alive at this time, in this place, in this hour, that you have allowed us to be here, each and every one of us here, Father. You have allowed it. And Lord, what we ask is that we honor you by what you have done in and our lives. That you would uh, allow us, Father, to glorify and magnify the most glorious of all names. That what we do and what we say and what we learn this evening would be done by and through you, Father. I ask that so that you would move me aside. Dear Father, I, I pray with all my heart that um, I not so much be noticed. Rather, the words that we've read, the thought of this place in Scripture, the, the acceptance of everyone into the family of God, might we notice those things more 
Thank you for Peter. Thank you for his faithfulness to you. Thank you that we see a man named Saul who was really a wretched individual. Called himself, Father, under the inspiration of your your mighty hand, uh, a chief among all sinners. And yet you called him, once he came to know you, a chosen instrument of yours. It should give all of us hope, Father. All of us should have the hope that we can be used by you regardless of our past. None of us are unholy. We are all holy people because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we gather together at this church at this time to praise your Son's name, to teach a lesson that, Father, will um, hopefully impact our lives. Now, would you move in our hearts of praise, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, when we read what we just read, out of verses 32 to 43, the first thing that you ought to notice about this is the impact that a personal, a personal touch has to ministry. Uh, Mike, I, I thought about you when I did this message this week uh, in, in a very positive way. Uh, because of the personal touch that I've seen when I do funerals and, 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 and kind of meet with people, the personal touch that Pastor Mike um, has upon people is, is, is truly a gift from God. Within the church, there is really a marvelous, marvelous ministry. And this ministry is for those who have the gift of compassion, say, for instance. They could be deacons, they could be pastors, they can be others within the body of Christ who go and visit the sick and the needy. When a church like ours grows, and we have three different services, and sometimes you don't know exactly who's in what service or who might be coming to church here, you need to know that, that when we grow, as God desires for a church to grow, a church cannot survive without the personal touch of the members of the family of God within that church. The personal touch of those who will go to the hospital, who, who will go to homes and pray for people, who will go to jails and visit people in jail, to pray with families, to pray with those who are sick and in need of a personal touch from the family of God. The impact of a personal touch on those who go to the hospitals or homes and pray for the sick and the dying is enormous within the foundation of any church. And so if, if you have a ministry or a gift, let's say, to go and visit those who are in need, you have become the backbone of this church. You are as essential as anyone and everyone can be in this church because that ministry is overwhelming. Because the families know when the people come and pray for their loved one. I did a funeral months ago, months ago. And um, Mike went along with me. And as we got to the 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 mortuary, the site where we were going to do the funeral, the family saw us get out of the car and they rushed to Mike. 
<laughs> they gave me a hug and they were happy I was there, but they were so happy to see Mike. And the reason being is that he spent time praying for their loved one whom we were burying. It is an awesome ministry. If you feel you have that gift, I'm saying to you, you can become the backbone of our church. Well, we see here that Peter, even though he must have been overwhelmed by his busyness, still had time to go and pray with people. He prays with this man in, um, in Lydia uh, called Aeneas. He has been paralyzed for eight years. Later, we're going to see he's called to Joppa. He goes. He prays for a woman who was dead, and she rises from the dead. Now, remember, we're talking about the sign gifts. The gifts in those days done by the apostles are not available to us. Yes, we can do, we can do amazing things. Miraculous things, <clears throat> but not with the consistency or the regularity or the, or the way that was done here in the New Testament. A sign gift was given for one reason and one reason only. The reason Peter healed this man who had been paralyzed for those many years was to verify the message that he was going to give in that particular city. He wanted them to know that what he spoke to them of came from God himself, not him. And the miracle allowed that to take place. The people saw that Peter was not speaking on his own, but he was a representation from God. The miracle proved to that. In both cases, as you'll note, that we see Peter heal these people. In verse 34 and verse 40. In both cases, we are accompanied by that miracle. By Look at verse 35. Because of this miracle, in verse 35, said everyone, all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw this man whom Peter had raised from being paralyzed all those years. And it says they turned to the Lord. In verse 42, after Peter had healed Tabitha, who was dead, it said it became known to all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. The pure gift of healing, everyone, every time, has passed away. When the Bible was completed, when we have this, the text, and when the apostles passed away, that gift of healing that they had passed away with them. Because we do not need the verification of a miracle to prove that thus saith the Lord. We have it right before our eyes. And so we have the ability to allow people to see what God would say to them by the Word of God. Now we come across two different people. One who is paralyzed, the other one who is dead. But... If you read this place in Scripture and just notice these two individuals, Aeneas and Tabitha, you just notice them, then you've missed the point of this place in Scripture. The people to note in this place in Scripture are the unnamed people. They are the ones who call for Peter to come who are true people of faith. 
They're the ones who called Peter to their beloved Tabitha, who died. And yet, and yet, folks, they still had hope. They still had hope for this lady, Tabitha, who had died. They had their hope in Christ. Yes, their faith and their hope was in Christ, not Peter. Because Peter made it clear to everyone who heard him that it wasn't he who healed folks. It was Jesus. Look what he said again in verse 34. In verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Not me, not Peter. Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. Their faith was in Christ. Because Peter makes it clear that it's not him that's doing it. And I hope we do the same here for you. That you don't feel that it's, it's my point of view that, that moves you closer to the Lord. But rather that you feel you are hearing from God himself. And that makes you want to walk with him. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said in John 15:5, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, that person bears much fruit. He says, for apart from me, you can do what? Do you know? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that you and I can do. There's nothing and no one that we can touch. There's, there's nothing that, that is in and of us that makes us so special that something's going to happen. Apart from our Lord, we can do absolutely nothing. And so to come to church, to come to church tonight, for instance, is a, it's, a, it's a precious thing to come to church. It's, it's wonderful that you're here. But while you're coming to church, my suggestion is to, is to pray. The whole process, if you drive here or you walk here, whatever it is that, that brings you here, it should be a time of worship. It should be a time of, of preparing your heart to hear from the Lord. I don't know about you, but I do that. I do not come here unprayed. I come here as prayed up as I could possibly be. Because I shudder at the thought that I might be the one who is uh, contriving or, or, or making this message come alive. I can't do that. It's the Lord who does it. He says, John, apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to what Peter said. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have the moment. Find it. It's near the end of the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. And then if you want to, and, and, we have, and, you have, and you can find it quickly, look at Colossians chapter 3. Hold it. We'll look at 1 Peter and then we'll look at Colossians. Colossians is the verse that I gave you last week. You'll remember it once I say it. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Let's just hold it for a moment. You need to, we'll read it all in a moment. Do you see why I asked the Lord to hide the one that gives the message? It's because whoever speaks... If we understand what we're doing in church, we are speaking the very utterances of God. You don't think that... If you ever taught a class, if you ever taught a group of people, that's an intimidating thing. To feel that you're speaking on behalf of God. 
And so we best be prayed up. We best be trusting that God is moving in our hearts and in our lives. Then he goes on to say, not, ever, not only who, whoever speaks does, does as if someone's speaking the utterances of God, he says whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And so we're talking about speaking, not just speaking, but actually speaking where you're teaching someone, where you're using the gift of speaking, the gift of teaching. You're to do so as if giving the utterances of God Almighty. And for those of us who serve the Lord, we ought to be prayed up while we serve the Lord, knowing that it is God who gives us the strength to do what He has called us to do. So that, goes on to say in verse 11, in all things, I added, whether you're speaking or you're serving, whatever you're doing, to whom, no, on all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter wrote those words knowing that all the things that he did wasn't in his own power. I mean, that's why he said to this guy, Aeneas, arise in the name of Jesus Christ who heals you. Not me, not Peter, he says, but Jesus who heals you. Arise, you're well. But he did that, folks, for a reason. Peter did that so as to verify the words that he was going to speak in that community so that people might turn to Jesus Christ. I told you to look at Colossians chapter 3. We looked at it last week. It says, in essence, what, what I was trying to say up to this point about it's the Lord who does everything. It says in Colossians 3, in verse 23 and verse 24, whatever you do, that is such an encouragement to me. It doesn't mean that you or you or myself, we don't have to be in quote-unquote ministry. We don't have to be um, missionaries. We don't have to to do some special thing so that God will see us as special. No, the Bible says, whatever you do, whatever it is, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. In other words, when you go to work or when you do what you do in your family or whatever it is that you do, do it unto the Lord rather than for men or women. Knowing, it says in verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. You know, if, if we can see that in and through our lives, in whatever it is that we do, our lives will be so much different, so much better. We'll be able to do amazing, magnificent things because apart from the Lord, you and I can do nothing. But with Him, there's no, there's no telling what we can do or who we'll be able to reach. So Peter, as I've said to you already, back to Acts chapter 9, healed this man for one reason and one reason only. Because as it states in verse 35, everyone, all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw this man, saw this one who was paralyzed for eight years and now is walking about. And they turned to the Lord. That was Peter's motive. 
This healing that he did so simply verified the message that he brought so that they would, by the grace of God, believe and become saved. The phrase in verse 35, turned to the Lord, that is the verb E-P-I-S-T-R-E-P-H-O. It means to turn around. It means to turn from. That word is also used in connection with repentance. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, they use this word again, E-P-I-S-T-R-E-P-H-O. It means to turn. It says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. As we have said over and over and over again, repentance is the backbone of the message of salvation. can't really give a message of salvation without asking people to repent or to turn to the Lord from whatever it is that they have been doing that moves them away from the Lord. Salvation, plainly put, is turning from whatever you were doing and to Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Okay, Peter heals this guy. Heals him for a reason. So that the people there in Lydda would understand and hear the things of the Lord and believe that Peter was speaking on behalf of God. They were so impressed by it, it says that all of them came to believe. Now, word gets out in Joppa, which is only about 10 miles north, uh, northwest, I forget, it's north of of Lydda. There's a wonderful, wonderful woman there. Her name is Tabitha. Look at verse 36. Calls her a certain disciple named Tabitha, Dorcas, Gazelle. She was a woman, verse 36, who abounded with deeds of kindness and charity, which, note, she continually did. Specifically, she was known in verse 39 for making clothes for those who were in need. Look at verse 39 again in chapter 9. It says, Peter arose and went with them, and when he came, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and the garments that Dorcas, or in other words, Tabitha, used to make while she was with them. She was a woman that had the gift of sewing. Upon her death, that room was filled with mourners, people whom she had helped. Here's the deal. We have learned over and over again in this place in Scripture that God uses preachers like like Peter and Paul. But God also uses those of us with what some might call inaccurately, I might add, lesser gifts. Like the gift of sewing. Making clothing for those who are in need. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, wait a minute, I don't see it ever mentioned in Scripture that there is the gift of sewing. Well, I want you to know something. I believe with all of my being that there are myriads of gifts that are not mentioned in Scripture that are given by God and useful for the body. You don't have to have a a, a gift of what's mentioned in here in the Bible to be useful unto the Lord. What is it that you want to do to serve the Lord? 
what is it that you feel is necessary for you to do to make an impact for the cause of Christ? Whatever that is, that's a gift that God has given you to do. Use it. You see, Tabitha had the gift of, you could call it helping or sowing or caring. Call it whatever you wish. I say to you, God used Tabitha just as mightily as He did the preachers. Now that sounds brash, I would think you would think. Just as mightily as He did the preachers? I believe so. Here's why I believe so. Who gives the gifts out? God does. God is very clear. You and I don't choose the gifts. He gifts us as He so desires in your life and in my life. Therefore, since every gift that God gives must be important, otherwise why would He give it to us? Therefore, there are no lesser gifts. Because God will use whatever gift it is that you have mightily. Just as mightily as He would to a preacher or whomever. It doesn't matter. I was going to try and make some comparisons, but I always end up doing the same one. I would always end up using the same one, like the parking team, or, or uh, which I love you guys. And, but but there's, there is no really lesser gift because God is the one who gave you the gift. Therefore, God will use it in and through your life for a reason because He wouldn't have given it to you if He didn't have you a purpose for you to use it. And He will use it mightily. And Tabitha is just a clear evidence of that. I mean, everybody was there. They were mourning her death. And they were showing Peter, look what she's done for me. The widows were standing there. Widows means these ladies that can't really fend for themselves. They don't have the money to buy clothes. And, and Tabitha would be by, by making them clothes for them. And they would show Peter, this is what she made for me. And it says she was constantly, constantly doing these things with kindness and charity in her heart. The lesson to me seems clear. And that is, rather than wishing we had a a better, more dynamic gift, we ought to be making good use of the gift that God has given to us. Because there are no better or lesser They're all mighty before God and He will use them mightily in your life. No, before Peter attempts to heal Tabitha, he did something. He simply, it says in verse 40, he sent them all out. He sent all the people that were there watching this He sent them out and he then knelt down and prayed. Peter did not want to take anything for granted. Yes, he just healed a guy who was paralyzed. But here he is before a woman who is dead and he has been asked to to perform another miracle upon her. And he does not take it for granted that he can do this. He asks God to use him. And so Peter without any fanfare, asking everyone to leave, he simply says two words. You know, if you've ever watched, and I don't ask you to do it, I wouldn't even encourage you to do it, but ever watch these preachers that do healing? If you want to talk about a circus, 
Watch that. Peter asked everyone to leave. No fanfare. Simply said, after he knelt down and prayed, Tabitha, right. That's it. That's it. That's it. He doesn't go about after this telling everybody how he raised someone from the dead. Oh my gosh. Let some preacher raise someone from the dead. Oh my gosh. They'll be on television every night. No, no, no fanfare here. This was done because God allowed it. And Peter understood, and so should you and so should I. Whatever it is that you and I do, we're to do it unto the Lord, knowing it's Him that we serve, not mankind. And we can take no credit for whatever success that we might have in using the gift that God has so graciously given to all of us. And now, as I said to you when we began, God is about to change Peter's life and his thinking Something very subtle takes place here. But it sets the stage for Peter's change. There's already some things that have happened. Number one, Peter saw personally the conversion of the Samaritans with whom no self-respecting Jew would have anything to do with a Samaritan. But all of a sudden, he's seeing Samaritans come to Christ and being a part of the church. And he must have scratched his head. Now, in chapter 10, there's going to come an even greater shock to Peter's system. And that is Gentiles are going to be accepted into the church. Yet, as we've already learned, as we read just a little while ago when we began in chapter 10, verse 34, Peter states, God is not one to show partiality. In other words, everyone is welcome. Peter had to learn this. And so suddenly, in verse 43, the end of chapter 9, Peter, it says, lodges with a certain tanner named Simon. Now, you could read this if you're reading along with where we're going and you read ahead, say, and you could... You could, you could read this and say, okay, big deal. It can go unnoticed. But it's significant. It's significant in the change in the church and it's significant in the change of the whole makeup of Peter and the rest of the apostles. Because, as I've already explained to you, under the Jewish law, a leather worker, a tanner in other words, was considered unclean because they handled dead animals. Yet, and it doesn't tell us why in verse 43, we just see that Peter lodges with this man who had been considered by everyone at that point in time as unclean. And so in one single verse, one sentence, Peter staying with Simon the Tanner foreshadows Peter's being told by God that nothing, no one that God makes is unclean. No one is unholy that God has made. Everyone is welcome into God's kingdom. And we'll find that out next week. Diversity within a church. People of all different races and backgrounds and nationalities. That's what makes a church healthy. When we can wrap our arms around people that come from different cultures and love them and realize that they are as worthy as anyone else. To love all people 
to go into the Christmas season and to think about this, the love of all people is an amazing, amazing place in Scripture. Jesus Christ incorporated within the family of God everyone. There's only one thing you had to do, and that is to believe. Trust in Him. Come to Christ. You're welcome into the family of God. Dear Father, as we rush into this season called Christmas, may we take note of what was just taught out of, out of this place in Scripture. Take note that, Father, um, the gifts that you give are almighty. None are lesser than another. They couldn't be, Father. Then why would you have given them to us? Who of us among here that as parents would give a, a lesser gift to one of our children than another? All the gifts that we give, we give for a reason. Hopefully that it, it will be a blessing to our kids. And so, Father, you give gifts to each of us, hoping that we will use it and be a blessing to you. You tell us that it's not one is not better or more important than another. And then, Father, we see that you open the doors to the family of God to every single person. There is no one who is, would not be welcomed into the family of God. We're to reach all people of all nations, of all tongues, of all nationalities, of all race, of all creed. Father, we are to be ambassadors for the very essence of who you are. For there is no partiality when it comes to you. You love us all. And so, Father, as we walk into this season again of, of Christmas, may we consider the love that you've shown upon us by allowing us to know you, allowing us to be a part of your family. And then, Father, entrusting us with gifts so that we might bless you by using them. I pray that we will all do that, Father, not miss that blessing. Now, thank us, thank you, Father, for this particular evening and just the people who are here this wonderful Saturday evening. May we continue, Father, to serve you and love you and honor you with our lives. Bless us as we go from here. Bless this wonderful time of the year, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. I love you. I know. Thank you, honey. I love you so much. Thank you guys for being here. Have a great, great night. If you didn't take a rock, take one.